Dear Lord Baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR, as we call them. Mm. Also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your Baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, we... um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. I absolutely love that clip. Justin and I were watching it this week and just absolutely cracking up every time we watch it. But we'll get to that in a little bit, so just kind of keep that in the back of your minds. Um, but first things first, I want to welcome all of you guys here to Fieldstone this morning. It's an honor to have each and every single one of you here, and we're so thankful that you are here. Like Justin said, my name is Carter, here, Carter Hayes, and I run the student ministries here at Fieldstone. Um, and it's been an honor and a pleasure to work with your students and just to get to minister to them a couple times a week. Um, I don't know about the good-looking part, but thank you, Justin. Wow. But if you're new or new-ish here to Fieldstone, again, we're so glad that you guys are here. Um, just so you know, I'm not our usual speaker. I'm not up here every Sunday, so don't worry about that. You guys can come back next week, and Pastor Justin will deliver an amazing sermon like he does every week straight out of God's Word. Um, for those of you who aren't new here, who know who I am, but did not know that I would be speaking this morning, I'm so sorry. We'll be praying here in just a second. All our eyes will be closed. You can sneak out the back, and you won't hurt my feelings at all because I won't see you. So if you need to sneak out then, that's totally okay. Um, but, and then for those of you guys that are here that know me, um, that are used to coming here, and then also knew that I would be speaking here this morning, um, just a special thank you to you guys. It's so affirming to me that those of you that have known me for so many years and have poured into my life and have watched me grow up in the community, um, whether you're part of my family or have just known me for that long, and you've seen me at my best of times when I was walking in my faith, and then you've seen me at those times in which I fell away a bit and God had to catch me and reel me back in. So I take it as a testament of your confidence in who God is and in his love and in his mercy and in the fact that he wants to use and often does use those of us who are the least so that we can make his name the greatest. So I just want to read a passage with you guys this morning in 1 Corinthians. And it says this, chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus 
who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Would you boast with me in the Lord this morning in just a word of prayer? Father, thank you so much for who we know you to be. Thank you, thank you for who you are today and yesterday and tomorrow and that we have assurances in you, that we have a hope and that we have a future. We love you and you thank you for what you're going to do here this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So, like I said, my name is Carter Hayes and I'm not wise by human standards. I'm not necessarily influential, I'm definitely not of noble birth, but I have Christ Jesus who has become my wisdom who's become my righteousness, who's become my holiness and my redemption before God. And so it's because of that that I will boast in him this morning and that I have this awesome opportunity to share with you guys and to continue on in this, service, and in this series that Justin talked about and began last week. This series called Christmas in a Nutshell. So for those of you guys that weren't here last Sunday, Justin talked about this tendency we have as humans that whenever there's this major life event or major kind of thing, whether it's a funeral or a wedding or something like the holidays, that tends to shake things up in our world a little bit and kind of reset us and get us back to the basics. And what we talked about last week was that thing was family. Around the holidays, whether if you don't see your family from January till November, around the holidays in that December month, you tend to create time, whether you really want to or not. It's just what you do. You get back to the basics, back to what's important. And this morning, we're going to talk about another one of those things, one of those essentials, one of those basic truths and basic things that are so important, and that is going to be serving and sacrifice. If you've noticed, and I don't know how you could not because they're so loud, but every time around this time of year, you walk into a store, you hear that ding, 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 ding. Salvation Army's out. People are volunteering. People are greeting you with a smile and a happy holidays or a Merry Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever they think you look like you celebrate. <laughs> and everyone's just so more joyous and more serving and more giving. And I looked up a couple numbers on this this past week and in the weeks I've been studying for this. And I just found some crazy statistics that blew my mind. On average, U.S. citizens will purchase over 16 gifts for other people in their lives. Now, that's, like, that's your family, that's your friends, those are your neighbors, those are your coworkers. People are buying gifts for everyone. And not only that, the United States Postal Service estimates that in this month alone, the month of December, they will deliver over 15 billion pieces of mail. That's over doubled the entire population of the world. And that's in one month. And 850 million of those things being packages. So not just letters. Those are gifts that people are buying for each other and shipping. And the remainder of those things are these crazy things called um, cards. They use this like, outdated technology called a pen. And you write a note to someone important to you and you like, sign your name on it. High schoolers don't really know what that is, but some of you parents do. But around the holidays, there's this thing that happens where we, we serve. Whether it's with the Salvation Army or a soup kitchen around Thanksgiving or even just with your family. You, you serve and sacrifice your time by making the effort to travel across the country, country in crazy traffic or to wait in long lines at the airport. And you create that time. You sacrifice your time. You, you're willing to give up more of yourself because 
It's one of those events that just takes you back. Unfortunately, if we're truly honest with ourselves, and I had to examine my own heart while I was going through this as well, the rest of the year, when there isn't a holiday, when there isn't a big life event, serving and sacrifice tend to fall aside. The busyness in our lives, the, the things we'd rather do, or even if they are important things, they, they tend to put serving and sacrifice on the back foot. But around Christmas, everything kind of changes. So why that is, I, I, I was kind of thinking about that um, a couple of weeks ago when Justin approached, more like a month or two ago, when Justin approached me to talk this morning, and he mentioned that I'd be speaking on something of this topic. And so I did all of this, this study and this research and, and poured through Scripture, and I prayed, and I just spent so much time pouring over this, and it led me back to this one thought. And that thought was that Christmas is stupid. And, and yeah, uh, that, I think that answers two questions for us, Justin. One, yes, you can offend an entire room at one time. And two, no, you won't be asking me to speak up here ever again. But yes, I see the looks on your guys' faces, like a little bit of confusion, a little anger, disgust, like, what are you talking about? And for those of you guys that know me, you're like, what are you talking about, Carter? You love Christmas. And that's true. I love Christmas. Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year. I love the joy. I love the music. I can never stop singing. I love the lights. I love the dancing and the gift giving and the Christmas trees. Oh, I love the Christmas trees. When I see a giant Christmas tree, there's just something that makes me so excited and makes me feel like a little kid again. Almost a year ago to the day, I was in New York City at the Rockefeller Center standing in front of that Christmas tree right there, that's me, it's kind of a small picture, but that's me standing in front of it with this just giant grin on my face. And this kid inside of me is going like, this is where Kevin McAllister like hugged his mom at the end of Home Alone 2. Like, I'm right there, I did it. <laughs> and so you're thinking like, how could you of all people who love everything about Christmas say that it's stupid? And from a religious standpoint, how can you say that Christmas is stupid? Without Christmas, we don't have Jesus. Well, before you all riot and throw me out of the church, I'm going to back up and go through a couple of things. For non-Christians, I think that Christmas is amazing. When you take religion out of Christmas, I think that Christmas is amazing. Like we already said, people are just more joyous around Christmas. People are happier. They give more. They self-sacrifice more. They serve more. People are off of school. That makes them happy. People get more time off of work. That makes them happy. People serve, and they, they get back to the basics. And even if you don't celebrate Christmas, if you celebrate Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, everyone is just in that joyous mood, singing about peace on earth, all just amazing, positive things, but for Christians, again, I keep coming back to this thought that Christmas is stupid. To see what I mean, um, if you have your Bibles with you here this morning, open with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And let's read about the very first Christmas. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius, Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go into Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning him, what had been told about them, about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, I didn't hear Christmas in that story when I read it. And so I had this thought when I was studying and preparing for this. I'm like, so where did Christmas come into this scenario? When did Christmas start to be associated with the birth of Jesus and the nativity story? So I did a deep dive into the origins of Christmas, the, the origins of the name, how its significance has changed over the years, how its uh, practice has changed over the centuries. And fortunately for you, we do not have time to go into all of that. I had to get rid of like four pages of history class and no, we won't be going through all of that this morning. But I encourage each and every one of you guys, if you're curious about why we celebrate Christ's birthday at the wrong time, or why we sing Christmas carols, or the real reason we circle up around a litten up Christmas tree every year. I encourage you guys to look into that and take a look at that. But in Luke, we do find a couple of things. We find the census. We find the difficult journey back to Bethlehem. We find the virgin birth. We find the, the host of angels. We find the, the shepherd's courage in spreading the good news all over the, all over the town. And that's the stuff we get excited about, right? It's like, yes! See, Carter, like, you missed the whole point. Like, this is what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus and this, this story that happens. And, and that's the true meaning of Christmas. And it's that Christmas is about Jesus came down to earth as a human as a baby, and yay, like, thanks, God, and then straight back to playing with our new gifts. And while we all know and celebrate every single day, or hopefully every single day of the year, the amazing fact that Jesus did this incredible thing by dying on the cross for us, we often miss the incredible declaration that Jesus made by even arriving on earth as a human in the first place. And that this makes a major declaration about who God is and then how we as followers of Christ are supposed to live in response to that. Reading in Job 26, verses 7 through 14, it says this. God stretches the northern sky 
over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps the rain in his thick clouds and the clouds don't burst with the weight. He covers the face of the moon, shrouding it with his clouds. He created the horizon when he separated the waters. He set the boundary between day and night. The foundations of earth tremble. They shudder at his rebuke. By his power, the sea grew calm. By his skill, he crushed the great sea monster. His spirit made the heavens beautiful, and his power pierced the gliding serpent. These are just the beginning of all that he does, merely a whisper of his power. Who then can comprehend the thunder of his power? Psalm 147, verses 4 to 5. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. And these are just two verses out of hundreds upon hundreds that talk about the power, about the wisdom, about the understanding, about the overall sovereignty of who our God is. His sovereignty is absolute And I'm so glad that the Bible tells us, God's word tells us that we can't understand his wisdom and that his wisdom is so high above ours because honestly, if you read through the Christmas story and you understand who God is, from the human perspective, Christmas kind of is stupid. It's reckless. It doesn't make sense. John tells us that Jesus was there at the beginning. Jesus was there at creation with God when God spoke and created everything out of nothing. Jesus is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He is everywhere at once. Yet to save all of us, he became a human. He became nothing. And he gave all that up. Yet we read and recite Bible verses like John 3.16 all the time almost flippantly, nonchalantly. Like, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's one of those, those verses that all our, our young kids learn and one of those common ones that we like to repeat all the time. And when we say it, we almost don't realize and understand the power and what that verse is really saying. Because of God's love for us, he sent and sacrificed his son. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God didn't just send his son down here. He didn't just give him up for a little bit. God literally made Jesus, who was God, who is perfect, who is holy, sin for us. He made him literally the antithesis of what his nature is. God is pure, God is holy, and sin cannot be in his sight. Yet he made his son the thing that he cannot stand and the thing that he hates. And Jesus, who is God and had a choice, chose to be obedient. He chose to sacrifice himself and he chose to serve by becoming the very thing that he hated. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11 say this. Now in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. He who stood with God at creation, who is the word and was the word at the beginning, he shaped us and he shaped our universe. He who was timeless and was formless and was limitless and holy made himself nothing and became a servant. And not just a servant, not just a human, but a baby, nothing. The, the unlimited became limited. The all-powerful became powerless. And the one you and I cry out to for help suddenly became the one thing that all it can do is cry because it is helpless. God's choice to sacrifice his son, Jesus' choice to serve and to sacrifice himself, their choice together to sacrifice and serve above all else is who God is, and this is who Jesus is. At the end of the day and at the beginning of the day, Jesus is a servant. And if you read with me one last passage, in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, Jesus says this. He called his disciples together and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so now we, we come to the same two words that I, I bring our students to every time we finish up a lesson. And, that, and that's so what? Right? Because we study the Bible, we come to church, we learn something new, hopefully, or we have something represented or brought out to us again. But if we walk away from Scripture, if we walk away from an interaction with God the exact same as we walked in the building, then what was the point? So what? In James, he says that a person who reads the Bible and then walks away and does nothing is like a man that looks in the mirror, looking at what he looks like, and then walks away, completely forgetting what he looked like in the first place. So after studying all of this, after, after looking at who God is and the importance of his son coming down to earth and being made in our likeness and being in a, entombed in our own flesh and our limits, what do we take away from that? And the first thing is this that you and I will never be more like Jesus Christ than when we are serving other people. If you and I want to be like Jesus, and if you and I who are in here this morning call ourselves Christians, that should be our life's purpose. It's not to make money. It's not a bigger check. It's not to have fun. It, it's to be like Christ. And in order to do that, we need to be a servant. But how do we become a servant like Christ? How do we become a servant like Jesus? And that brings us to our second takeaway, and it's that to truly become a servant, we must be willing to make ourselves nothing. 
And that's not a statement you hear often. You never hear someone like empowering you by saying, be nothing. Like, that's not very motivational whatsoever. But, but how can we become nothing? How can we be like Christ? Well, the Bible tells us that in order to do this, we must humble ourselves. And not only that, we must be willing to sacrifice anything so that we will one day be exalted with Jesus above everything. And finally, and, and to the, the main reason as why for a Christian, Christmas is stupid, is that you and I cannot focus on just putting Christ back in Christmas. As a religion, we have done such a good job of relegating one of the most important and impactful events in the history of our universe to one month out of the year, to the point that we exclude it from every other day of our lives. And, and if you don't think this is true, go back to that funny video at the start with me and ask yourselves this question. When was the last time that you thought about Jesus outside of December or as a baby outside of December? When was the last time you sat down and took the time to look at the importance of the event that truly started it all? When did you let it hit you and thank God for the sacrifice he made when he first came and not just the sacrifice he made when he left? Nowadays, every Christian, and I include myself in this as well, we're so quick to just hit that share button on Facebook and Share those posts about, like, let's put the Christ back in Christmas, guys, and put it in all caps in the first part to let them know it. Christ, Christmas. Or when we finally come up from the sea of shredded wrapping paper for a breath of air, and we look around and kind of remember to say, let's not forget the reason for the season, guys, before we plunge right back in into the sea of consumerism and festivities. We, we make such a big show in December, about all of a sudden remembering to, to remind everyone else in our lives about the reason for the season. But when was the last time that we remembered the reason for our very lives? And our band's going to come up here in just a second and lead us in one closing song, but before they do, ask ourselves this question. How different would our church, our family trees, and our very lives look if we didn't just put Christ back in Christmas, but back into every day. How big of an impact could you and I make in our communities if we woke up making the conscious decision every morning to be like Christ daily, willing to make ourselves nothing by sacrificing everything to serve everyone? Not just around the Christmas times. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Dear Father, we, we thank you so much for the sacrifice you made in asking your son to give up everything and to make himself nothing for us. Jesus, we pray to you and we thank you so much for your willingness to make yourself nothing, to give up being able to be everywhere at once, to hide yourself away in the, in the form of a small human child. We thank you for your love and for the fact that you're willing to sacrifice everything and to serve us and for the example you gave us. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray.
Amen.